Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I am your host, Mark Brown, Eat More SK on CamdenChat.com, and I am joined as usual by Andrew Gibson. Andrew has some pretty exciting stuff to tell us about tonight. Last weekend, he had an adventure at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, aka uh, Dorkapalooza is, what, uh, <laughs> I think the star of the show, Bill Simmons calls it. So Andrew, why don't you tell us what you got to experience at the, uh, at the conference? Dorkapalooza is right. Um, it was a two day conference and in Boston, it wasn't actually at MIT. It was just sponsored by MIT. Um, so it was downtownish. Um, we walked to Fenway afterwards for dinner. So that's the general area we were in. Um, surprisingly enough, it wasn't a baseball first analytics conference, which I guess I had expected because that's that's where I live in, in the baseball stats world. And Andrew, you were kind of there professionally, right? Since you work for the yeah, baseball info true. solutions. Okay. I, I, I guess I should... Uh, Put that caveat out there. I was there um, in an official capacity, sort of. Um, my boss is John Dewan, who was on a panel the second day with Bill James and a couple other folks, and they were talking about rebooting the box score. Was what the the panel's name was. Dean Oliver and John Thorne were the other two contributors to that that panel. Dean Dean Oliver is ESPN's head stats guy and John Thorne is MLB's official historian, I guess. Ah, I didn't know there was such a thing, but it makes sense. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. There were some really great quotes from that and they were talking about primarily sort of rebuilding the win stat. Uh, Bill James opened it talking about how there was a game in August of last year where the Marlins were playing, he was watching it, and the starting pitcher went seven innings, gave up a run, left with the lead comfortably intact, pitched really great, and then the first guy out of the bullpen came in and blew the blew the lead, and the Marlins won because at the top of the next inning, they hit a home run and took the lead and held it and won. So the pitcher who got the win was the relief pitcher who gave up three runs. Oh, they didn't tag the ineffective uh, designation on him there? Right. Uh, I guess that's a little-used rule. Well, but, you see it fairly often with Orioles, but maybe uh, <laughs> that's maybe true. other teams aren't as experienced as... Well, as it turns out, uh, BIS tracked how many times that specific thing happened. It was 62 times all last year, and uh, Bill James dubbed it the BS win uh, because it's a... A blown save win. That's why. That's that's actually often. I mean, not if you consider every game in the whole league, but well, that's it's about twice a twice a team yeah. per year, and that throws off the wins sort of substantially. I would think there's about twenty five hundred games, so that's that's a small percentage, but you know, like we're sort of married to this terrible statistic that makes no sense. And we can point to lots and lots of examples why it doesn't make any sense. And nobody really has tried to reinvent the win. 
which is what they proposed that we do. And they did not propose a specific solution. They said, uh, <laughs> Bill James said, we should crowdsource this. And he didn't want to give his opinion because he didn't want it to be weighed more heavily than anything else. Like people and, will just say, oh, Bill James said it, so that must be the, uh, the genius yeah, idea. Yeah, I guess. Um, it was an interesting idea. I don't think anything's going to come of it necessarily, but it's an interesting thought exercise more than anything else. The pitching oh. win, obviously, if you look at it, you'd understand. You know why. You know it's not not very good to use, but it's just one of those stats that I think I've talked on the on the podcast before about the dad test and your dad or my dad, most people's dad, just pitcher wins is just what they understand what they're familiar with and just communicating you know to the kind of people that vote for like jack morris for the hall of fame that you know wins don't matter is just a difficult proposition yeah and you know when you say wins don't matter pitcher getting credited with the win doesn't really matter right that's obviously that's absurd but in a very real way, wins do matter. Pitcher wins do matter, I should say. Because they matter to, I would probably say, a majority of baseball fans. Yeah, It's still the first thing a lot of people look at when they look at a, a pitcher's stat line. How many wins did he have? Or what was his record? And uh, I saw on Twitter, because... You know, every it was Dorkapalooza. Everybody was tweeting quotes. I actually tweeted something that John Thorne said at the exact same time as my colleague Ben tweeted, who was sitting right next to me. And by the way, if you want to follow Andrew on Twitter, he is at Gibson Andrew. You should <laughs> yes. follow him. Um, yeah, you totally should. There will be lots of useful things coming from that Twitter feed. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, so everybody everybody was tweeting things. I noticed on Twitter, a couple of folks were pondering why Bill James was even talking about pitcher wins. Because we know pitcher wins don't, don't matter when you're talking about evaluating or projecting pitchers. But I think one of the big takeaways from the conference for me was there needs to be a lot more communication with that huge percentage of the fan base out there that doesn't really even care about, you know, things like UZR or plus minus or whatever else. And that starts with pitcher wins. Like there should be a dialogue there about like, this doesn't make sense because of these BS wins. We can do better. Let's do better together. You know, it's less about, forcing your viewpoint on the public and more like let's let's all get smarter a little bit together right you don't want to just have the stats crowd as like up in an ivory tower trying to preach down the divine message you kind of want to have it be a conversation so the people can understand why their cherished statistic is not the best way to evaluate you know which pitcher did well and which pitcher didn't necessarily do well because like as far as pitcher wins go again going back to the dad test i think my dad 
talks about how many wins Jim Palmer had in his career about as many times uh, as Jim Palmer talks about how many wins <laughs> Jim Palmer had in his career. It's just is that even? I think that's like breaking one of the rules of the universe. He comes pretty close. It's one of those things. It's you like know, Newton's fourth law. Nobody talks about Jim Palmer more than Jim Palmer. Jim Palmer, you know, he was the great Orioles pitcher of my dad's youth uh, and young adult years. So he's obviously very proud of Jim Palmer's accomplishments. Uh, probably in the same way I would say that I am of Cal Ripken Jr.'s. You know, that was his his best Oriole, really. Yeah. So, and... you know, the the challenge is you can't just preach it people like that and expect to have them acknowledge you if you're not trying to relate to them in something they can understand. It's like you said, the BS wins where you can say, okay, well, here's all these situations where a pitcher got wins and maybe we shouldn't have. So maybe we can find a better way to evaluate pitchers. And just, you know, that's, that's the stat for pitchers. And then if you get, you know, on the, on the batting side, you got to try and communicate why RBI don't really matter as far as who was a good hitter and who wasn't, why maybe you want to look at on base percentage instead of batting average. And I mean, I don't, con- I'm not really, I like some of these stats, but I'm not, con- I don't really consider myself in the stat crowd, but I would like it if ideas were more accepted. And part of that's definitely got to be communicating to the public why, why they should be accepted instead of just, uh, you know, I feel like some, and I don't think you do this, Andrew, but I think some do, um, just act like it's kind of self-evident that you should look at whatever new stat, and you know that's not the best way to. I I definitely was that type of writer, not that long ago, and I don't I don't know if there was any one incident or anything like that that sort of served as an epiphany to me, but I have tried very hard to be a little more teaching, I guess, even though I, I absolutely don't consider myself a good teacher, even remotely. But I think that's really because we're writers. That's what we're here doing even right now. And that's got to be at least job one is to make sure we can communicate what we're trying to say. That sounds really obvious when I say it like that, but sometimes you need to point out the obvious things because some people just yes don't think about it because they're so obvious. I met a bunch of ESPN writers while I was there, and former ESPN writer Rob Nyer, who is now so I guess he's the editor in chief. Yeah, he's of kind of sort Baseball of Nation. our boss uh, in the SB Nation network, but right. I I met. Dave Schoenfield, who replaced Rob Nyer at ESPN, who's the head of the Sweet Spot Network, and Mark Simon, who is one of the Baseball Today podcasters and one of the more stats-centric writers. Uh, I don't know if his stuff is insider-only or not. Um, And I have a professional relationship with Mark Simon, not so much the other guys, um, but I was sort of struck by, as I was talking to each of these guys, one after the other, I, I couldn't help but think, like, this is, like, the nicest guy I have ever talked to. I talked to uh, David Laria. 
I'm going to get his last name wrong. He is a Fangraphs writer who he just does interviews. David Larilla. Larilla. Larilla, I think. And again, it was, it, it was, he was very easy to talk to. He spent all of his time listening and then letting me sort of dictate where I wanted to take the conversation. And we, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, like talking about stats when, when we're blogging or writing or whatever. And I think there's a lesson there too, that these really good writers, very accomplished writers are primarily listeners and open-minded more than anything else. And certainly that's a lesson I could learn many times over before it even gets halfway into my head the way I want it to be. Um, you know, there's a lot of, oh, let's dismiss this guy for saying FIP stupid or, or whatever. And we should be listening to that sort of thing. For sure. So if we can kind of try and draw all of this stats talk into our favorite baseball team, although sometimes I wonder why. It is my favorite baseball team. I know why, but why why was I cursed to have it be my favorite baseball team? The Baltimore Orioles. And just this week, I guess, what was it, Sunday, yesterday? Yesterday was Sunday as we're recording this. And Wayne Kirby was, on, the first base coach, Wayne Kirby, was on the Masson broadcast. And uh, he was asked about zone rating statistics. And speaking of Jim Palmer, Jim Palmer was... Aghast at the very notion that uh, <laughs> that the Orioles could not have, or could, that the Orioles outfield is not rated very well in zone rating statistics, and Wayne Kirby's comment was that sometimes, in his opinion, zone rating statistics can be misleading because if you have pitchers that are not hitting their spots, and as anyone listening to this podcast knows. Uh, the Orioles pitchers kind of have stunk for quite some time. So that's, uh, you know, they haven't had that benefit. So that is something that can make, say, outfielders suffer if pitchers aren't hitting their spots because he didn't say this, but I assume the implication is that uh, if they aren't hitting their spots, then where the players have been positioned will be negated. And that was Wayne Kirby's theory about why it doesn't necessarily mean the Orioles outfield is bad just because they don't have strong UZR ratings. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It does. It, it does if you think about that because, I mean, how often do you hear, well, they're supposed to pitch so-and-so batter outside? And then, you know, if they don't hit that spot, then maybe they can, you know, whoever's batting can pull a double right down the line when maybe the right fielder was more in right center. And, you know, Nick Markakis has to fish it out of the corner or something like that when exactly. really, you know, it was supposed to be maybe a line drive right at Nick Markakis. There is a system in place. Everybody's familiar with pitch effects for the, for the most part. Pitch effects is cameras that the company Sports Vision has set up in every major league ballpark and many minor league ballparks that record all of the information about the ball as it leaves the pitcher's hand until it 
either caught by the catcher or hit by the batter. And that's recorded on cameras and then converted into code, basically. Not to get too technical. Um, there's another related system that is not publicly available like PitchFX is, but is given to all the teams called CommandFX. <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to have to get killed if you talk about this on the podcast, am I? No, 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 no. Okay. I, I, I saw a, a Sports Vision panel at Sloan where they were talking about this. And what they do is they record where the catcher sets up and then where the pitch is actually delivered. And then they determine who has the best command in, in that sense. It's not a perfect uh, measurement because the catcher could deke out the hitter or things like that, but it's a lot better than nothing, which is what we currently have. And the teams, including the Orioles, have access to this information and could know very well if bad command could lead to worse defense. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if it did. That's not like a publicly available study, obviously, but Wayne Kirby is at least in a position to potentially know. So he might have seen whatever the Orioles know or have concluded about their own pitchers. We, well, we would hope the Orioles have looked into that stuff. Uh, right. It's, it's very difficult to try and figure that out on our own, but the concept makes sense, especially with the Orioles outfield because the Orioles pitching staff is so fly ball friendly that hitters would take the pitch the way that the defense wasn't positioned for. I think the real question is how much did that affect their UZR or their plus minus or whatever. Oh, by the way, I, I have to get this out. I had lunch on the second day of the conference with my colleague, Ben, uh, Ben Jedlovic, who is the co-author of the Fielding Bible volume three. Um, and Mitchell Lickman, who invented UZR. Oh, aren't you fancy? Yes. Lunch with yes. statistics inventors, huh? Talk about uh, Dorkapalooza lunch. And I say that with the utmost respect to all three people who are at that lunch. Um, and one of the things Mitchell said to us, and this was pretty cool, he said he thinks UZR can tell us a lot of things, but he considers the plus minus system to be far more advanced and better than UZR just because we kept working on it and he doesn't, he's retired. He doesn't work hard for any specific team making the UZR system better. It is what it is. So I have to, you know, sort of, puff out my chest a little bit. Bonus but. points for Andrew there, for sure. And it's pretty cool that uh, that we had an Orioles fan who's sort of in the industry who was able to relate all this to us. I am personally rather envious of the whole experience you got to have. It's, it's, it's all, a little it's weird. It sounded pretty cool. It's a little weird, uh, to say the least. So, you know, that's there's some thought there. It should not be just dismissed just because Jim Palmer came at it from sort of an aggressively skeptical point of view. Aggressively old school Jim Palmer right. point of view. Because there's a there's a really valid point there. 
the pitching and the defense is very, very entangled and very difficult to separate. And we shouldn't just assume that we're even close to knowing the full breadth of it yet. And on the other side of the same coin, you might say why the Orioles infield defense being not so great, especially Mark Reynolds of the world uh, had a negative effect on pitching statistics. Of course. Especially for a ground ball pitcher like Zach Britton, who's a left. Of course. So. You know, it, every play that the defense can't make fatigues the pitcher, forces him to go up against another batter, <clears throat> turns the line over, the lineup over a little bit. The pitcher's pitch worse, makes it harder for the defense, and on and on and on. You know, it's it's a cycle. I think in in the the New Fielding Bible, John Dewan said that he feels when we talk about offensive statistics, we're at about 95% knowledge. And, and this is just his personal opinion. When we talk about defensive and pitching stats, we might be at like 60%. Like we've taken a big bucket out, but there's still an ocean of darkness. And talking about that fielding Bible, Andrew was telling me he has a copy he would like to give away. We want to do that on the next podcast, but at this moment, we don't know how we want to give it away. But uh, stay tuned, because next podcast, we will have That's a true. we will have some kind of way for one lucky listener to win. Uh, it's good. It, it, it's really it's super interesting. This will this will be my quick sales pitch, and then I'll shut up about it because I know. Nobody wants to hear me just boast. Um, one of the things we specifically tried to do was to tailor it so that every fan of every team would have something interesting to read in there. And for Oriole fans, it's sort of a double whammy because in addition to our specific section, which is called 101 Things You Didn't Know About Defense, which tries and covers players from every team, there's a section just about the Orioles and their defensive home and road splits and whether or not there's a bias in the recording of it at BIS that would force their home numbers to be so much worse than their road numbers, which has been the case in their careers for both Adam Jones and Nick Marcakis for some reason. Um, so there's lots of good stuff in there. If, you're interested in seeing where the industry is so far in in this stuff um because this is this is as far as we've gotten so far and there's lots of work still to do but at, be, at the moment another it's the cutting problems. edge and you could have right. this okay. volume for your bookshelf or whatever uh i don't know so um, it, it should be cool and hopefully we'll find a cool way for you to win it so Stay okay, tuned. so let's let's actually talk about the. Orders. Moving along from all the assorted sports dork statistics stuff, uh, <laughs> one of the one of the horrible things that happened in the last week was uh, the Orioles have been linked to Johnny Damon. And Andrew and I, a couple of months ago in the podcast, were talking about similar rumors linking the Orioles to Manny Ramirez. And was I think was that a couple months ago? It was. I think it was in January, and now we're in March. So <laughs> it's uh, time's flying, I guess. And. Uh, our conclusion then was we couldn't even really imagine it happening because it was so absurd. And honestly, 
that's about how seriously I take the Johnny Damon rumors uh, because I I really can't imagine it happening. So I can't I can't think about what what how would I react if it happened because I can't even wrap my head around the idea that it really might happen. Well, you know what's next because we've gotten. A couple of jokes, right, when the Orioles hired Dan Duquette about signing Pedro Martinez. Right. Yeah, well, that was our Camden Chat April Fool's joke, what, two years ago? <laughs> so maybe that'll be the reality uh, um, this year. And, and then we had Manny Ramirez. Might even have been three years ago. Was it? I don't know. Jeez. So th- then we had it? Manny Ramirez and Johnny Damon. It's yeah, like, so you know who's next. Because Taylor T. Garden's going oh, for Jason MRIs. Baratek will be next. Jason Baratek, oh. obviously. Because Dan Duquette traded for him that one time. I, that was on one of his Orioles spring training games that's been televised. And uh, Dan Duquette came into the booth with Gary Thorne and Palmer. And Thorne asked him specifically something. Like, he just, like, out of nowhere, he was like, so what's up with Johnny Damon? And Dan <laughs> Duquette just, like, laughed like... <laughs> Did he say it just like that, too? Yeah, I think he did, if I remember right. It was just very blunt, like, out of nowhere. And so, and Dan Duquette just started laughing, like his, his Dan Duquette uh, evil genius laugh. <laughs> That's good. Uh, well, and to his credit, he said something like, well, I sure would have liked to sign him when he was 28 and not whatever age he is now. So. Well, he did. Yes, he did. He would like to sign him when he's 28 again, I think was his response, but. He's not that anymore. So, I don't know. What's the point of having Johnny Damon on the Orioles is the main question. Well, I think he makes he he would make the team better because, I mean, who would he replace? He would replace like Wilson Betamit yeah, versus Lefties. Squeeze out Wilson Betamit and or like Nick Johnson or someone like that. But that would you cost, know. and then it would just be ridiculous that. Johnny Damon's like going on a farewell career tour across the whole American League East or something. And of course the Orioles uh, will oblige any player who's doing that. It seems like, yeah, you know, I think more than the on the field stuff, it hurts the perception of the Orioles at some point has to be, that's where players go to retire. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and they got to stop doing, I am tired of having that be my perception of the Orioles. And I'm sure all of you are too. I kind of get the feeling our target demographic here is fellow disgruntled Orioles fans. and uh, Yeah, it'd be one thing if, you know, we were all excited and talking about like, oh, the Orioles, they're sort of on the outside of it right now. Looking at like 87 wins, they need a couple more pieces that could be really exciting. I don't even think the Orioles are looking at 87 losses. They're going to be, uh, you know, if, if things go well, they'll have 90 losses and 72 wins. Yeah, is what so, it feels right. like to me at the moment. There's very little reward in in signing any old veteran player on a one-year deal at this point, unfortunately. So that's why we don't want to prolong Johnny Damon's career here, and uh, hopefully those rumors are there's nothing to them, and uh, there's no Johnny Damon. Now, on the other hand, rumors that I hope there's something to are rumors that Kevin Gregg has been mentioned in preliminary not even preliminary really just vaguely trade discussions but who would take him right. though we're, we're not that lucky orioles fans are not that lucky to be rid of kevin Gregg. uh in fact i'm not certain that we'll get out of not having him next year if his contract vests you know it's too bad 
part of me really wants to feel bad for Kevin Gregg because he's not as bad as he looked last year. Yeah, you just haven't acquired his taste for pitching yet, Andrew. And you think about, like, George Sherrill, and he was not a very good closer either, but he had one and a half really good years. But he had the same sort of problems. Like, he had, like, he put too many base runners on. Still got saves, but he blew his fair share. But the difference between the two guys is Kevin Gregg won't stop talking about how great Kevin Gregg is. Yeah, and and when he says things like, what was it, the first game he blew last year was uh, that game in New York and Posada He's hit a home run Posada. off of him. And, On the first and, pitch. And Jorge Posada at that point was batting like one, something ridiculous, one something, like 170 or something like that. And uh, first pitch, home run, and quote from Kevin Gregg after that game, which I think the Orioles might even have won that game in extra innings if I remember. I don't my, think they uh, did. If I'm remembering my games right. And Kevin Gregg's quote was, well, he had to do a lot of things right at this point in his career to hit that pitch out of there. And that was how Kevin Gregg explained his blown save. It's uh, Jorge Posada had to do a lot of things right. He had a quote on Orioles.com where he was talking about how a lot of his save opportunities were with one run leads or something like that and he blew his fair share but you know he wasn't he was dealt sort of a bad hand for it and he hopes that he's not judged too harshly based on last year okay that Here's game i was just talking about was april the 14th last year and the orioles actually lost that game in extra innings six to five because in the bottom of the 10th inning mike gonzalez uh pulled the Mike Gonzalez, speaking of or, uh, relievers, Orioles fans don't really like. Let's see, Mike Gonzalez gave up a walk to Teixeira, double to A-Rod, Teixeira to third base. And then ultimately Nick, Squish, uh, Nick Squisher, Nick Swisher drove in, <laughs> Squisher. The, drove in the winning run on a sack fly. Which, if I'm remembering my fan rage properly, was a shallow sack fly, and Nick Markakis probably should have thrown out Nick Swisher, but uh, Markakis had some vague shoulder thing early last year and didn't really have the cannon so what the heck that was quite a game uh that was terrible to watch think about this there's probably going to be a game almost exactly like that this year yeah we won't have gonzalez but we'll probably have like matt lindstrom reprising that role at, or, uh, yeah you know yeah at, at Luis i'm, I'm sorry i said that that's a really negative andrew job. it was going to happen whether or not you said anything so don't worry you didn't jinx <laughs> didn't jinx it at all um so yeah i just we don't like kevin Gregg, and i i wish i could i wish he doesn't he would make just... it easy for us to like him either. right that's exactly it and that's, that, yeah. that's all i got so i don't i don't think he's gonna go anywhere because so, who would take him? right who would why even if the orioles eat most of his salary what is the point why would you want to trade for kevin Gregg? the orioles are the only team desperate enough to to sign him in the first place, to give Toronto a draft pick. Not from the Orioles, but they got a comp pick because of that signing. And, uh, I mean, you know, he's he's Kevin Gregg, and he sucked even more than I expected him to suck. Yeah. Well, I hope he pitches really well. It would be nice, but... Uh, just just as well as he's capable of pitching, I should say. Just so that I don't have to worry about him again. 
So that's enough. Oh, well. That's enough brain power expended on Kevin Gregg for the night. <laughs> Uh, one of the th- well, so since we were talking oh, wow, about BS really? wins earlier, I guess Kevin Gregg is the kind of guy who might get BS wins, and take, he definitely had at least one. Take them away from pitchers in the Orioles' starting rotation, which maybe is starting to solidify. What was it? One podcast ago, we still had 13 names on the list. Maybe we've pared it down a little bit. Who do you think is going to end up in the starting rotation at this moment, Andrew? What, um, what do you? Uh, well, what do you think? I mean, what what's happened so far in spring training? Every, everybody's gone through and pitched twice, and there have been some really good games. Matt has pitched really well, and Tillman pitched really well. Um, have we seen Tommy Hunter's been hurt? Right, Wada's been hurt. I I did not have the opportunity to follow Chen pitch. Today, we're recording on Monday night. It is Monday, March the 12th, 2012, as we're recording at this moment, yeah. Um, he gave I heard up one he run went... in three innings, and I right. heard there was a lot of fly balls, which... Uh, wow. I mean, what does that mean? Right, well, it, it, today's game was like B-Squad to the infinite, and not even the beat writers that were on Twitter really gave a crap, because, like... <laughs> At at some point, they just stopped waiting for like an hour and a half, and then eventually the beat writer from the Baltimore Sun, Eddie Encina, just tweeted, and we're in the books. The Orioles lose 4-1, to one, and nobody out of any of the guys that were there, or Britt Giroli, not, I, none of them even wrote how the Orioles scored the run. So it was just like, okay, it's 4-1, to one, it's over, we'll see you tomorrow. So that was Chen, and I think he, I think he's probably one of the locks for the rotation just because of his... Contract situation and the and, and pedigree. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, he sounds um, like an interesting player. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. Even if the game had been televised, I don't know what you could take away from it. Right, because um, we don't know what the wind was or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, there's, there's lots of things. Uh, so uh, I think it's safe to say Jason Hamill is probably a lock. Yes, unless he gets hurt. Obviously, all of this is unless they get hurt. And Chen is a lock. And I would even say Jake Arrieta, who also pitched well. Jake Arrieta's up, name up in the fastballs. There was a story that uh, the same Eddie Encina wrote in the Baltimore Sun. It might be in tomorrow's paper. It's online now. It was talking about the opening day starter. And looking at this article, it mentions that Buck Showalter today said, uh, he has two or three pitchers in mind as potential opening day starters, including one dark horse. And the speculation in this article is that the pitchers in the mix include Jake Arrieta, Tommy Hunter, and Jason. Tommy Hamm. Hunter. Yeah, Buck. No. I, Buck really kind of has a love affair with Tommy Hunter that I don't, I don't really understand. understand. Um, I uh, I have not personally been convinced of any positive benefit to Tommy Hunter. Uh, as um, well, he did not pitch well when he came over from Texas yeah. last year, which which hurts. Maybe he was hurt, but he's kind of hurt right now because he hasn't pitched yet in spring training. So That's a good point, too. Well, uh, he's throwing I, like simulated games or whatever the heck that means. I've never really been sure. If I had to guess... Opening day candidates, I would probably guess the three guys we just talked about, Arietta, Hamill, and Chen, are the two or three guys that Buck just talked about. 
Yeah. And... If he's mentioning them as possible opening day starters, you'd think that means they're currently ticketed for a rotation spot. Right. And those are really the only guys I think are written in heavy pencil. I think it will be made slightly more complicated by the fact that certain young Orioles pitchers have demonstrated vaguely that they maybe have unsucked themselves um, in the last week or so. Like One of the things that had people all aflutter, and possibly you, the listener, as well, was like the velocity readings for Brian Mattis in his most recent appearance, or what they were saying about Chris Tillman yesterday, where Apparently he hit like 95 miles an hour or something like that. And, uh, you know, Mattis was averaging 91 apparently in his last appearance. And Jake Arrieta, but he was already in the rotation conversation, apparently hit 97 in his last appearance. So, Well, here's the thing with, with those velocity readings, and they're all great signs. Uh, I don't want to take that away, but like we're speed crazy. Like Jake Arrieta... We already knew he threw hard. And throwing hard is part of what could make him good, but it is not it, it hasn't helped him. He has a four eight eight career ERA. And he's averaged something like ninety-four miles an hour on his fastball. I have a hard time buying he's just gonna jump up three miles an hour. I have a hard time really buying all of these. Like ninety-five from Tillman. Right. Are the guns hot? Where did that? Like, it, uh, that's like seven miles an hour. It doesn't Where did make that... any sense. Uh, supposedly, the the ones from Mattis and Arietta were from scouts, but I don't know if they were Orioles scouts or other team scouts. And uh, the Tillman one, the source was Rick Adair, so who knows? Maybe the gun is hot. Um, All the guns are hot. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible that those are accurate readings, and it's even possible they could maintain that throughout the season. But, you know, I've been working with Brian Mattis's pitch effects data from the past three years. And the thing that keeps coming back is his fastball velocity, did, it doesn't match up with when he was effective. He lost it and he lost his effectiveness. And then he got his fastball velocity back and his effectiveness did not come back. Because his location, location, location was... Right. You, so it, it's great. It's it's encouraging to see Tillman, Arietta, and Matt is all throwing hard. Although health-wise, that sort of makes you wonder. I guess pitching young pitchers always make you wonder. Um, but it doesn't say at all to me like, oh well, he's totally going to be great this year now. At this point, we would settle for being decent or mediocre, because after, and I can't harp on this stat enough, the Orioles' starting rotation ERA last year was 5.39. Boy. And, and, you know, even if it was like, I mean, you think about it and you're like, wow, what if our starters collectively had a 4.0 ERA? You think about it, and in general, it's like, man... That kind of sucks, but then you remember last year's... Yeah, that's 150 and runs. That's Yeah, that's a run a game. And in Pythagorean terms, that gets us darn near a 500 record. Yeah, it does. That's absurd when you say it like that. Yeah, because I mean, really, a 4.0 ERA is not going to blow anybody's socks off. But the Orioles were so bad last year. If their starters threw a 4 ERA, 
then that would give them, like you said, about 150 runs. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah. That's uh, the that, defense would have to cooperate. Yes, which it probably won't, but uh, uh, you know, we can dream. So, I, I do think there's a really good argument to be made. I might even try and make it that Mattis and Tillman should be the four and five guys behind Hamill and Chen and Arietta. Assuming Zach Britton is still hurt. Yeah, he also has not yet pitched in a real spring training game. Uh, and about all we've heard is vague comments about something shoulder strain, which uh, hopefully is not going to be the ominous specter of, you know, visit, <laughs> Knock from, on visit from Dr. Lewis Yoakum or whatever the shoulder doctor guy's name is. So I think, you know, if he's healthy, he's in that conversation, too. And then they'll be like, well, who's got options? Who does Buck Showalter like? And really, uh, we don't know the answer to any of that stuff, but we'll know better next time, whenever next time is. Yeah. The cuts are coming. Uh, what, what's the tagline from that HBO show? Oh, it's winter is coming. Oh, yes. Game of Thrones. Y'all should watch Game of Thrones, by the way. Premiere season two, April 1st. Yes. Uh, cut Cuts are coming to Orioles camp. So um, maybe guys like Dana Evelyn can feel the bell ringing a little bit. Yeah. You know, I always forget Dana Evelyn is on the Orioles after every time he pitches. And uh, I forget about him until the next time I see him. And then it's like, oh, yeah, Dana Evelyn, he's on the Orioles. And... Uh, I think the reason why I forget him is because I don't really want him to be on the Orioles. Well, he probably won't be. But, uh, I mean, he spent most of last year in the minors. He's he's a journeyman org guy. He's like the new Mark Hendrickson. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I think he's a little shorter. <laughs> right. Um, so that's that's Dana Evelyn. Probably not as good. He if it, it, there will have to be a plethora of players getting hurt or not performing for him to appear, and uh, that's the way it should be. Really, the Orioles. If you want to talk about the Orioles having depth, I feel like the Orioles have depth in the same way quicksand has depth, and uh, <laughs> if you experience it, you're already dead. I, I I'm not sure I agree. I think uh, they have not upgraded their. Like, they haven't moved from quicksand to land, necessarily. No. But maybe they've moved from quicksand to to beach-ish? I don't know. Well, maybe. Maybe I'm being needlessly pessimistic, which wouldn't be the first time and uh, probably won't be the last <laughs> either. Yeah, wow. So, you know, that's life. So, uh, I think that's going to be all for tonight. Well, let's do our little final thoughts. So, Andrew, what is your what is your final thought of the moment? State of the Orioles uh, currently. We're based. Uh, well, the Orioles, I still like them a lot. Uh, not to win a lot of games, but you know, I like them. I like their their colors, and I like rooting for them. Uh, my final thought, going back to Sloan, uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up on this. Um, I was sitting on a basketball analytics panel, and one of the guys from the Houston Rockets was on it. Um, it wasn't their general manager, but it was another executive. And so was Jeff Van Gundy, who is a former coach. I do not know for who because I 
just don't follow basketball uh, that well. Yeah, about all I know about basketball is that there's two Van Gundys, and I don't know which is which and which was at which team at which time. So I think uh, uh, Jeff <laughs> is the one that's currently a broadcaster. Yes, he, he works for ESPN, which is why he was there. Um, and <clears throat> the, the guy from the Rockets was talking about one of the skills they look for. And this was a thing that has been reoccurring. Um, my, my colleague, Ben, is currently in the process of hiring a new intern. And he said, very similar to what this, this guy from the Rockets said, the, the thing that separates the candidates, because everybody likes baseball or, or basketball or sports in general, and everybody can talk to you about these things for, for hours. The thing that separates them is whether they know SQL or not. SQL is a, a database coding language. <laughs> and this this guy from the Rockets said that, and Jeff Van Gundy just looked at him like, what is SQL? Like, what the heck are you talking about right now? And it got a good laugh. I thought it was funny because that is the work I do. It's completely in that. And I don't know, sometimes I forget that the world I live in is totally weird and different from the world that real people live in. I guess to be a broadcaster for a major sport in America, you don't necessarily need to know SQL. That's, yeah. So I live in as much a fantasy world as the Game of Thrones guys live in, I guess. Well. That's a really weak final thought, but. But you like the the Orioles, so it's okay. Yeah. I also like the Orioles in case there was any doubt. I Hopefully there's not any doubt. Uh, That would hurt my feelings a little. But what is my final thought? My final thought is, and it was probably the same as my final thought last time, is I just really have a good feeling about Jake Arrieta. And, you know, jokes in spring training are, oh, he's in the best shape of his life. And everybody says that. But I feel like Jake Arrieta has just a real reason to believe it because he had the gross ping pong ball sized uh, growth removed from his elbow. And clearly he's very excited about getting that was to prove really it. Gross. Yeah, if if you haven't seen that picture, you should don't uh, don't, do, do yourself yeah, don't, don't I guess. Uh, so oh, um, here's a really good final thought. Okay, for, for, real, for, for uh, real final thought. Okay. Yes, best wishes to Nolan Reimold, who had a scary moment, struck in the face with a fastball. Um, I guess he only lost a tooth out of the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, a, I had like Brian Roberts tooth. flashbacks flying through my head when i heard that news. cat scan was negative x-rays were negative and uh he should be back next week i think so, so andrew, he, andrew and i are both irrationally big nolan rimel fans maybe more so me than andrew and uh i i hope he's good i hope he's the opening day left fielder and uh i hope, I hope he does he's the opening day left fielder and the final day left yeah fielder. And, and most of the days yeah. probably hopefully like 80 percent or more of the days in between glad you're doing okay nolan Keep it up. Get well soon, and he's having his his wife is having their second kid like this week, I think. So uh, also, you know, Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. So there we go for this evening, March twelfth. We will probably be back in two weeks' time to offer some more thoughts on how spring training is progressing. Hopefully, more good news than uh, some kind of horrendous injury to be discussed. And again, we'll be giving away a fielding Bible then. We don't know how yet, but stay tuned because we'll figure it out. We'll figure out how to give it away. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or through any other uh, program of your choice. 
Follow Andrew on Twitter. He's at Gibson Andrew. I am at Eatmore S K E S S K A Y, like the hot dogs. Which yes, I do enjoy eating at Camden Yards. Real or real meat? S K real beef. Frank's taste the difference. Quality makes. That's right. And uh, <laughs> we are from CamdenChat.com. We are bringing you Camden Cast, and this is Birdland, and we are out.